let's start with an overview of 1 Peter, because I want to give you the, the big picture of Peter's flow of thought up to this section that we're going to be looking at today. So the very beginning, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Peter introduces himself to his readers. And then in chapter 1, verses 3 through 13, he urges us, his readers, to set our hope fully on the grace that will be ours when Jesus Christ is revealed at the end of history. The joy that will be ours, the beauty that we will see, the fullness of heart that will be ours when Jesus returns and forever. This is all ours through faith in Jesus Christ. He's died on the cross. He's paid for our sins. And through trusting him, we have this living hope. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be yours when you behold Jesus Christ. That's verses 3 through 13 powerful opening to Peter's letter. Then Peter says, because we have this living hope, we are able to stop sinning. Chapter 1, verses 14 through 21. We're able to fervently love one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's chapter 1, verse 22 through chapter 2, verse 10. We're able to live God-glorifying lives in the different countries with the governments that we're involved with. We're able to live God-glorifying lives in our workplaces, in our homes. So that's chapter 2, verse 11 through chapter 3, verse 12. And then finally, because of this living hope, we are freed, we are motivated, we are enabled to suffer for Christ. And that's chapter 3, verse 13 through chapter 4, verse 6, which includes the passage for today, verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. Now, we've been talking about growing, we've been working on growing in our Bible study skills as a church. Very excited, the reports I'm hearing about people who are getting it, who are seeing that they can study the Bible for themselves. God teaches them. It's beautiful to hear what's been going on in individual study times as well as in our home groups. And we've learned that one of the most important steps to understand a passage of Scripture is to discover the main point that the author has, main point or points in that passage. And every author gives clues so that we can see what the main points are. And one of the most obvious clues is commands, because every command is a main point. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and keep your eyes open for commands, because that will be the main points. Start with verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, they speak against you, but they will give account to him, to God, who is ready to judge the living 
and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Did you catch the command? It's right there in verse 1. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, we should arm ourselves with the same way of thinking and be willing to suffer. That's what Peter's calling us to do. So let's dig a little more deeply into figuring out what that command means. What does it mean to arm yourself with a willingness to suffer? Look at verse 1 again just to see that's exactly what Peter says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So we should take on a willingness to suffer. Now one question I had is, okay, now what, what kinds of suffering is Peter considering here? What kind does he have in mind? Previous verses in chapter 3, we saw that he gives examples of being persecuted for our faith. And so he's clearly including that. Persecution is part of what he's talking about here, but I don't think this is limited just to persecution. I think Peter is talking about all the different ways we can suffer while we're on the road of obedience to Christ. All different ways. And there's two reasons I don't think it's limited to uh, persecution. There's two reasons I think it covers all the different kinds of suffering we can experience while we're on the road of obedience. First reason is because in verse 1, he talks about us suffering in the flesh. And that just simply refers to all the different ways we can suffer while we're here on planet Earth, before we've gone home to glory, here in our physical bodies, all the different ways we can suffer while we're here. It's a long list. That's one reason. I think it's a broad category of suffering. And the second reason is because of what Peter says back in chapter 1, verse 6. He uses this word various. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. He's talking about a lot of different kinds of trials. So let's just think about what Peter's really calling us to do then. He's saying, arm yourself with a willingness to suffer all the different kinds of suffering we can experience while we're on the road of obedience to Christ. So he's saying, Grace Church, be willing if God should so ordain it in his love and in his wisdom, be willing to, if it's his will, be persecuted for your faith. Again, don't, don't share the gospel on company time. We talked about this last week. Be wise, be bold, but be wise. But if it, God ordains that you be persecuted in some way for Christ, be willing to suffer in that way. Or if God ordains that you get a flat tire, much more mundane example, be willing to suffer along those lines. Or if God has ordained that you're, you're, you have sinus problems here in the, in the UAE, or, or you can't find your favorite salsa at, at Lulu's, where is it? It's always here, you know, and where is it, right? Or on a much more serious note, if, if your husband or your wife is taken home, or if you or a loved one is diagnosed with cancer, or if you have a disabled child or a child who is wayward, 
or if you're, if you're going through an unwanted divorce, whew, Peter would say, arm yourself, Grace Church, arm yourself with a willingness to suffer. Do you feel the weight of this command here in this passage? Now, this does not mean that we seek out suffering. Don't worry, it will come, okay? Jesus promised, as you're on the path of obedience, you will suffer. So we're not seeking out suffering. We're not masochists, okay? It's not what Peter's saying. He's also not saying that it's wrong to avoid suffering. If you can avoid it on the path of obedience without disobeying Christ, avoid it. Remember when Paul got wind of trouble in Damascus? He knew that persecution was coming to him. He had his, had his, his friends lower him in a basket outside the city wall of Damascus. So he avoided it. He, he, he left town. He got out of Dodge, as we say in America, okay? So there's nothing wrong with avoiding suffering if you can avoid it in the path of obedience to Christ. There's also nothing wrong with praying that God will keep you from suffering or that when you're in suffering that God will deliver you from suffering. Nothing wrong with that at all. So don't misunderstand what Peter's saying here. What he's simply saying is that we decide ahead of time to accept whatever suffering God might bring into our lives. We decide ahead of time that we will receive it, we will respond to it, we will trust him for it, whatever suffering he might choose to bring into our lives. Now, I mentioned earlier that this, this might be a strange commandment. You, you may have never considered this. In fact, you, you may be from a background which has encouraged you never to talk about the possibility of a Christian suffering. That you should never talk about the possibility of losing your job or getting sick or facing financial troubles. That you should only talk about how you're, you're going to be healthy and you're going to become rich and all these different kinds of things. But I hope you can see from this passage that that kind of teaching is, is wrong. It's not what the Bible says. Peter says, arm yourself with a willingness to suffer. I'm thinking about how especially people from the U.S. where I'm from, or maybe in, I don't know about Eastern cultures, but more Western cultures, for some reason we can easily have a sense of entitlement. That, I mean, I'm, 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 a, I'm a child of the king. I'm a son of the king. That makes me a prince, doesn't it? I'm a daughter of the king. That makes me a princess. And certainly princes or princesses aren't going to have to face suffering. And, and if you think that way, if you think that you're entitled in that way, and if, if the path of obedience looks like well, there's some suffering down the road, that can't be the path for me. Do you see how destructive that could be in obeying Christ if that's exactly the path Christ has called you to walk? So this is different for us to think about, Right? This is not maybe what we're used to thinking. But church, we want to be a church and we want to be individuals who are submitted to the word of God. No one loves you more than God does. Look at the cross. No one loves you more than Jesus does. And if, if this is what God has called us to do, if this is how he's called us to live, then we should say, yes, Lord. And arm ourselves with the willingness to suffer. That's what Peter is calling us to do. Now the next question we need to look at in this passage is how does the rest of this passage 
either explain that command in more detail, or how does it give reasons for why, reasons to motivate us to obey that command? And as I studied this passage, it seems like the whole rest of this passage gives reasons. And as I studied, just asked, so what reasons does Peter give? I saw Peter giving us three sets of reasons. I'll put it that way. And all three of them can be seen in the first verse. So look, look at verse 1. Here's, here's the first set of reasons. It's found in that word, therefore, in verse 1. Beginning of verse 1 again. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now, in, in Bible study, we want to pay special attention to that word, therefore, because what the word therefore shows is that what Peter's about to say, this command he gives, is based on reasons he's already given in previous verses. So he said, reason, 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 therefore, arm yourself with the willingness to suffer. So what were those reasons? We looked at them last week, in last week's message. He says we should be willing to suffer for Christ because, number one, this will bring us even more joy in him. You'll be blessed, he says, and that word blessed is the word joy. God can use it to save lost people. You're suffering for the gospel. Wouldn't that be an honor to have your suffering in some way bring somebody to faith in Christ? We can be free to suffer because we have received God. We have been brought to God. We have God as our treasure. And if we have God, then we're free to suffer whatever God would call us to suffer because we have him as our prize. And then the fourth reason was because he promises you'll be delivered from whatever suffering he ordains that you go through. Suffering is not the end. Life is short. It's full of suffering, Jesus promised. Eternity is long where there is no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, free from suffering forever. But here, therefore, we are free to suffer for Christ's sake because we know deliverance is going to be coming and it will be sure and it will be everlasting. So that's, that's all found in that word, therefore. That's the first set of reasons. Won't get into more detail on those. We covered them last week. Now there's a second reason, and you can see this in the word since. Since is another word that's very important to look at when we study the Bible. Read the beginning of verse 1 again. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. There's the reason. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So another reason we should be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ, another reason we should arm ourselves with this readiness to suffer is because Jesus suffered. How did he suffer? We all know. He suffered on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would trust him. And his suffering on the, on the cross is completed. Remember as he was hanging on the cross, he shouts out, it is finished, which means that all the punishment you deserve, you who are trusting Christ, all the punishment you deserve from God was poured out upon Jesus every last drop. Justice has been fully satisfied. No punishment will ever await you from God for your sin. All of your sins have been completely forgiven. Jesus suffered for us. That's what Peter's referring to. Christ suffered in the flesh. But see, now Jesus calls all of his followers 
to share with him in his sufferings. That's why he said, if you want to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. He calls all of his followers to share with him in his sufferings. Let me give you some scriptures to back that up. That may be a new thought for some of you. Peter mentions it in just a couple of verses. Let me mention, we, we share in Jesus' sufferings. That doesn't mean that Jesus' sufferings on the cross weren't complete. They completely paid for the sins of all who would trust him. And yet, even though that suffering is complete, he calls us, there's a reason that we are called to share with him in his sufferings. Look at 1 Peter 4, 13. Peter says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. We're called to share Jesus' sufferings. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 3, 8 through 10. He says, I have suffered the loss of all things so that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul wanted to share with Jesus in his sufferings. Paul saw that as a high calling. One more verse, Romans 8, 16 and 17. Paul applies this to all of us. He says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the, the anointing like Pastor Ben talked about this morning, the, the sealing, the gift of the Holy Spirit, God pours his love into your heart. You are assured of salvation. That's verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Jesus suffered, and he calls us to suffer in his he calls us to share in his sufferings. Jesus suffered. He calls us to share in his sufferings. Why? I thought he loved us. Oh, he does. He does. And in his love, he calls us to share in his sufferings. And the reason is because when we share in Jesus' sufferings, when we suffer for Christ's sake, that is a blazing display of the glory and the worth of Jesus Christ. And that's the highest calling, the greatest joy we can have in this world is to display his glory. A couple of examples. Let's say, well, think about Paul. When, when Paul was willing to go to prison for Jesus' sake, that displays to everybody around that Jesus is more glorious than freedom. That Jesus is so beautiful, so satisfying that he totally makes up for all the difficulties of prison. It's a beautiful, blazing display of Christ's glory, Paul's willingness to go to prison for Jesus' sake. When you get sick and Jesus so fills your heart with peace and with joy, so you're not complaining, you know how easy it is to complain when you get sick, but because of Jesus, you're full of joy and peace. See, that... That shows that Jesus is so glorious that he more than makes up even for sickness. So you're, you're displaying the glory of Jesus Christ by suffering with Christ in that way, sharing in his sufferings. 
Or when, when you choose Jesus over popularity, your friends all want to go out and do that, and Jesus says, I'm calling you to do that. And you say, yes, Lord. And you lose popularity because of that. That is a beautiful portrayal of how Jesus is so much more glorious, so much more satisfying than popularity ever could be. So Jesus calls us to suffer because when we suffer, we display his glory. Now let me share with you the most powerful illustration I've heard of how that can happen. I think this is a true story. Uh, It came from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and they do their fact checking. This is not just some sensational thing that somebody wrote. I I believe this is true. It's deeply impacted me and I I hope it, it impacts you. It's a picture of how suffering for Christ displays Christ's glory. It's about an African man named Joseph in Africa. One day Joseph who was walking along one of these hot, dirty African roads, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village and share the same good news with the members of his local tribe. There's the path of obedience. Make disciples of all the nations. There he goes. Joseph began going door to door, telling everyone he met about the cross of Jesus and the salvation it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the way his had. To his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a water hole and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he had received from the people he had known all his life. He decided he must have left something out or told the story of Jesus incorrectly. After rehearsing the message he had first heard, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God, he pleaded. Again, He was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third and probably the last time, he again spoke to them of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. 
This time he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. Why? They had seen the glory of Jesus in this man's willingness to suffer for Christ. Jesus was displayed before them in his words, yes, powerfully, and in his willingness to suffer. Oh, this is sobering, isn't it? It is very sobering. It is very challenging. But Peter commands us, calls us, arm yourself with the willingness to suffer. Arm yourself with the willingness to suffer. That's why Jesus calls us to take up our crosses and follow him. The gospel will only be advanced through suffering. That's why Peter calls us to arm ourselves with the willingness to suffer for Christ. That's the second reason. Because Christ suffered, and he calls us to share in his sufferings, to display his glory. There's a third reason in this verse. The third reason is because through Jesus' power, this is so interesting, this willingness to suffer will break sin's power in our hearts. Look at the end of verse 1. Let's read all of verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For, here's why, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, why does Peter use the picture of arming ourselves? What do you do when you arm yourself? When you, when you arm yourself, you're picking up some weapon in order to defend yourself or to resist some enemy, right? Destroy some enemy who's against you. So what is the enemy that Peter sees us battling here? It's sin. You see that? Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So the picture Peter has is here you are in life and you're facing this big ogre of sin, powerful, who's bent on destroying you spiritually, if at all possible. You're facing this big ogre of sin. And Peter says, look at what you're facing in sin. Now, arm yourself. And he says that the weapon you should arm yourself with is a willingness to suffer. That's the weapon. Now, why why a willingness to suffer? Why is that our armor? Paul talks about other kinds of armor in Ephesians 6, but here Peter talks about a different kind of armor. Why, armor our, why arm ourselves with the willingness to suffer? It's because he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That does not mean that we cease from sin forever in this life, but it means that at that moment when you take on a willingness to suffer for Jesus' sake, that that taking on of this willingness to suffer, that act by God's grace and through Jesus will break sin's power in your life. At that moment, it will do a death blow to sin in your life. It's like you've you've got a sword and you've chopped that ogre's head off. Boom, dead. Out of the picture, okay? 
That's what happens when you, before the Lord, arm yourself with a will. I'm, I'm willing to suffer, Jesus. I'm willing to suffer for you. I'm willing. That deals a death blow to sin in your heart. Now, let me give you an example. See if, see if you can understand how this might work. <laughs> Let's say that you're getting up Sunday morning, wake up, get ready for work, hop in the car, head to work, and while you're driving to work, you get a flat tire or a punctured tire. I hear is how they describe it in the UK. Is that right? Anyway, you, you get a flat tire. Now, imagine how you'd feel. You're on your way to work. Imagine the frustration, right? Imagine the bitterness, the anger. Imagine like, really? Are you kidding me? And it's, it's August in Abu Dhabi and I get a flat tire? Okay, can you feel that? Okay, now that's one scenario. Let's try a different scenario. Rewind, beginning of the story. You wake up Sunday morning and you take some time to seek God's face. Take some time to pray, to worship, to read, read the scriptures. And as part of your time with the Lord, you arm yourself with a willingness to suffer. What would that mean? It means, it means you, you might pray and tell, tell the Father, Father, I'm, I'm willing today, if it's your will, and I trust your love, I trust your sovereignty, I trust your wisdom, but I'm, I'm willing, Lord, to suffer today any suffering that you'd have me go through on, on the path of obedience. I'm willing, Lord, to suffer any inconvenience, any persecution, any hardship. Lord, because you are my prize. Your son Jesus is my savior. I want to display his glory. I'm willing, Lord. I, I, I arm myself this morning with the willingness to suffer for your sake. Now, God would use that prayer to break sin's power in you. God would use that prayer to change your heart. Because that prayer would remind you, suffering is part of following Christ. This is part of what following Christ means. It would comfort you with the truth that God is in sovereign control over everything. He loves you just like Pastor Ben said earlier, nothing can separate you from his love, no trial, no hardship, no suffering. It's part of his love if he calls you to that. And you're, you're, you're acknowledging the infinite worth of Christ's glory and there's no greater joy. If I can be a, a billboard displaying Christ's glory, that's my highest joy, Father, if I can do that. And, and that prayer would break the power of sin. The ogre's head has just been chopped off. Sin's power has been dealt a death blow. So then, with that scenario, you get in your car and you start driving to work and you get a flat tire. But now can you feel how sin's power has been broken in you? And there's not that bitterness or that frustration or that, really, are you kidding me? But there's a, ah, yes, Father, a flat tire. I trust you, help me. And your peace and your contentment would display the glory of Jesus Christ, the worth of Jesus Christ, the, the treasure that Jesus Christ is to you. Because if you have Jesus, what does it, who cares about flat tires? You have Jesus Christ. And you're displaying that through the way you're responding to that flat tire. Do you see how that works? He who has suffered in the flesh 
has ceased from sin. Sin's power has been dealt a death blow at that moment. The ogre's head has been chopped off at that moment. Now, you, you might need to keep doing that throughout the day and every day, right? It's not that sin's power is now permanently banned from your life. That's not how God has set things up. But he who has suffered in the flesh deals a death blow to sin. And verses 2 and 3 show why this is so important. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. This will change how you live the rest of your life as you take on this arming yourself. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies, drinking parties and lawless idolatry. So when you take on this willingness to suffer, your life will change. Since power will be broken, you will live differently. You, you don't become perfect, but there will be increasing godliness, increasing growing holiness in your, in your life. Now in verse 4, then Peter warns us that your unbelieving friends may not like that change. Verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They might speak against you. They might slander you. But Peter says, don't be intimidated by that. Don't be troubled by that. Verse 5, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter says, think about judgment at the end of history. Think about what that's going to mean at the end of history. Don't worry about them speaking against you now. You just keep loving them. You keep praying for them. You keep sharing the good news of Jesus with them. You keep pleading with God to change their hearts and to save them. Because unless that happens, and you long for that to happen, if they don't change, if they keep living the way they're living apart from Christ, then they are going to give an account to God, the God who judges the living and the dead. Did I lose that? Okay, all right. There's no more frightening thought than to be an unbeliever giving an account to God for the way you've lived apart from him, dishonoring him, disobeying him. There's no more frightening thought than that. So don't be intimidated by people maligning you or speaking against you. You just keep loving them, praying for them, sharing the good news, pleading with God to save them. Don't worry about them speaking against you now. If nothing changes, they're going to face God's judgment forever. And oh, pray that that does not happen and pray that they come to faith. Now, with verse 6 then, verse 6 is a t difficult verse. I, I think Peter's answering a question. See if this makes sense to you. Again, I'm about maybe 60 to 70% right. I think I'm, 60 to, I'm about 60 to 70% confident that I'm right in my understanding of verse 6. But you, you study this, see if, if you agree. I, I think Peter's answering a question. The question is, wait a minute, Peter. Believers and unbelievers both die. So what's the point? If, 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 if everybody dies, what's the point of suffering for Christ now if we're all going to die? What's the point? And look at what Peter says in verse 6. He says, For this, namely, 
the reality of future judgment, which he mentions, mentions in verse 5, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Now pause there. Those who are dead can't mean those who are spiritually dead because in the previous verse, Peter has used the word dead, referring to physical death. And there's no reason to change meanings from one verse to the other. So Peter says, for this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are physically dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, that is by dying physically, okay, there's the curse, there's, the, there's physical death because of Adam and Eve's sin, though judged in the flesh the way people are by dying physically, they, by responding to the gospel while still on earth, before they die, might then end up living in the spirit forever the way God does. Let me put this in my own words. I think what Peter is saying is, listen, we all die, yes, but death does not mean you're going to face God's punishment forever. Believer, the fact that you die does not mean you're going to face God's punishment forever. Jesus paid for all your sins on the cross. Jesus died and he rose again. And if you respond to the gospel in this life, put your trust in Jesus Christ and are willing to suffer for Christ, that's all part of, the, part of this package, you will live with God in the spirit in the joy of beholding him in his beauty and glory in Christ forever. So yes, everybody dies, but massive difference those who die having trusted the gospel, having put their trust in Jesus Christ and been forgiven through him. Massive difference. Couldn't be more difference. Which means it's worth it all to live the life Jesus has called us to live. It's worth it all. That's Peter's third reason. Verses 1c through the end of verse 6. You're facing the power of sin. So arm yourself with a willingness to suffer. Because when you do that, consistently, faithfully, regularly, you deal a death blow to sin. You chop off the head of that ogre with the weapon of being willing to suffer for Christ. So how should we respond to this? It's a heavy message, church. I'm not telling you. You know it's, this is a heavy message, isn't it? But I would encourage you, first of all, if you struggle with this, read 1 Peter again. Read this again. If this is totally different from maybe some of the background things you've heard, read this again. And other passages like this. The gospel will only be advanced through suffering because suffering most powerfully displays the glory of Jesus Christ. And the highest calling you can have in your life, the greatest joy, the most meaningful action you can take in this life is to display Christ's glory. You will be so thrilled and thankful to the Lord for every bit of suffering in your life when you are in heaven and suffering is over and you'll be able to with joy look back and see how Jesus was glorified there and Jesus was glorified there and because you will see him face to face, you are worth it all. Thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the joy. All the redeemed will join together in worshiping him. And we will all thank him for every bit of suffering he allowed to come because it allowed us to share with Jesus in his sufferings for his glory. So here's how I want us to close. I, I want us to take some time and, and I want to pray like, like pray through arming yourself with the purpose of suffering. 
I want to pray that, pray, give you a chance right now to pray through this yourself. And the first step is going to be, for those of you who aren't yet trusting Jesus, to trust Jesus. Because we hope that through this message this morning, you've seen the glory of Jesus, the reality of who he is, his love, what eternity is all about, and that you want to put your trust in him. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to lead us, and let's pray now and arm ourselves with the willingness to suffer for Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd come right now as we're praying together here. And I pray that you would do a powerful work in our hearts and in us as a church. And that as a result of this time now, we would be more willing to suffer for Christ and that Jesus would be more glorified. So first of all, those of you who, who need to put your trust in Christ, tell God that you, you want to turn from your sin. Confess to God that you've been sinning against him and that you need Jesus to forgive you through his death on the cross. Just tell him that right now. A ask, ask him to forgive you through Jesus. Just pray that right now. And, and ask Jesus to change you right now by his power. Ask him to change you. And trust Jesus and ask him to fill you and to satisfy you with his love and his presence and his joy. So trust Jesus. And if you're trusting him right now, then you can be assured that you are forgiven for all your sins. You will not face God's judgment ever because Jesus was judged in your place. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. Then let's take a moment and, and pray, acknowledging that we're understanding that Jesus has called us to suffer. Tell him you understand he's called you to share in his sufferings. Just tell him that. Talk to him about that right now. He's called you to share in his suffering so that his worth can be displayed. And then third, accept Jesus' call to suffer. Tell him you're, you're willing. As he gives you strength, as he gives you grace, you're willing to suffer for him. You're willing. Arm yourself with willingness. Tell him you're willing. If there's some pushback in your heart, ask him to help you be more willing. Ask him to free you from fear, which can so easily come with this issue. Then fourth, ask him for strength. To enable you to suffer. Maybe some of you are suffering right now. Ask him to strengthen you. Maybe some of you are not, but ask him for strength for when he does call you to suffer.
Admit that you can't do this on your own. And then fifth, thank him for such a high calling. To display the glory of Jesus Christ is the most meaningful, satisfying, joy-producing life. That's why he calls us to share in his sufferings, to give us the, the privilege. So thank him for the privilege. Think of Jesus' glory. Think of his death on the cross. Think of what he's done. Think of him as your savior. And say thank you for the privilege of sharing in your sufferings to display your glory. Lord, I pray that you would pour this out upon us as a church. I pray that you would strengthen us, give us grace, free us from fear, and show us your glory, Lord, so that we will embrace whatever you call us to suffer as a way of displaying your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.